0: Hello and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup, your one-stop shop for all things Ulster Rugby from the Belfast Telegraph. I'm Adam McKendry. Uh, We're in more of a celebratory mood this week after a couple of weeks of, let's say, disappointment, uh, the defeats to lose in Munster, because We finally got playoff rugby to look forward to. Ulster securing their place in Edinburgh on Saturday night. And we've also got a a very exciting game at Ravenhill to look back on as well from the Ireland women. And joining me to take a look back at all of those things is my good friend and colleague, Jonathan Bradley. How are you, Jonathan? I'm good, Adam. I'm good. How are you? I'm keeping very well. You've recovered sufficiently from last week? Yep, yep. Another
1: non-COVID illness. I just think... uh... I My mean, immune system is shot to pieces of lit so yet or another, another issue with is the coming out of the pandemic but here we are we're back ulster have won they're in the playoffs everything's fine and dandy again yeah michael allen fell down very well for you last week so we're, we've got I him on to, a retainer you know, um <laughs> i cried off sick and you're faced with michael allen so the net benefit
0: for everybody else that wasn't me was uh, was huge well, everybody else had to listen to me vamp for a bit for with all the listener questions, so I'm gonna put them all on you this week. That's your that's your reward for coming back. Uh, of course, yes, we uh, we are gonna look back at the uh, the Ulster Edinburgh game in just a second, but we do want to clear something up uh, just before we do that because there's a bit of confusion on Saturday, myself included, about whether or not Ulster had qualified for Europe as well as the playoffs off the back of that win. We've crunched the numbers before we started recording just because I wasn't I still wasn't sure up until this point if they were qualified or not. Uh, and I think we've discovered that Ulster are are not actually qualified for the Champions Cup yet. We're about to get very confusing here, so you're going to have to really engage yourselves mentally for this one. Uh, but Johnny, can you give us kind of a rundown of why Ulster are not qualified for the Champions Cup next season yet, even though they are guaranteed to finish in the top seven?
1: I mean, it would take a wholly unlikely series of events for this to come to pass. But obviously last week we were sort of focusing on the uh, the need to finish in that top seven, top seven rather than top eight because there will be no Welsh team in the playoffs, but there will be a Welsh team in the Champions Cup. So whoever finishes eighth will not qualify for the Champions Cup despite qualifying for the playoffs. Ulster cannot finish as badly as eighth, but, but could still, through a series of uh, clauses and subclauses, find themselves missing out if the team that finishes eighth, which could yet be either Glasgow or Edinburgh, pip the likes of Saracens and Toulon to win the Challenge Cup. So unlikely, but not yet a certainty. Or, I don't know whether this is less likely or... More likely, according to the bookies, it's actually considerably less likely. But um, the eighth seed, or I suppose theoretically, the seventh seed. But if say, as an example, Ulster were to finish sixth, the Bulls would have finished seventh, and basically, if the eighth seed were to win the Challenge Cup. And say, for the sake of argument, the Bulls then became the team that would miss out on Europe, but then went on to win the ERC. So essentially what it boils down to, before I confuse anybody any further, both the Challenge Cup and winning the ERC bring with it an automatic place in next season's Champions Cup, regardless of whether those teams have qualified through any other means. And if they have not qualified through any other means, then the places get taken off the bottom end of the ERC playoffs. But having said all that, without tying ourselves in the knots, I think Ulster have done the hard part of the equation in winning away in Edinburgh. And regardless, I would say they will be relatively strong favorites
0: to beat the Sharks anyway, rendering this whole segment essentially moot. I mean, to boil it down to as simple as it gets, if Ulster finish fifth in the table or better, they are guaranteed their spot because no combination of events could knock out the team that finished fifth. Yes,
1: yes. I feel like we're sort of straying into the territory of, you know, what happens if, uh, you know, like earlier in the season in the Premier League, people were saying, well, you know, fourth might not make the Champions League because, you know, United could win the Champions League and not finish in the top four, and West Ham could win the Europa League. Like, I think we're talking about a, a fairly unlikely set of circumstances
0: here, but um, just so you're all forewarned, so whenever we get to the end of the season, and Ulster magically are not in the Champions Cup, we're not wondering why.
1: Yeah, just so people don't blame me for, uh, for having said that they had to finish in the top seven. <laughs>
0: Well, yes, it, it probably would be a, a very unlikely set of circumstances that would see them miss out. So uh, I think we can probably say that Ulster have Champions Cup rugby to look forward to next season, but you never know. And just uh, just in case anybody wants to watch some games this weekend and maybe cheer on a couple of teams, uh, Edinburgh play Wasps on Saturday in the Challenge Cup quarterfinals. That's at half past 12.00. Glasgow are then away to Lyon at 8 o'clock on the same day. So just in case anybody wants to lend their support to a a French team or an English team, uh, I'm not encouraging you to do so, but that's just when they happen to be playing, so... Yes, Ulster are now guaranteed their place in the end of season playoffs. They now sit fifth with 55 points, which is a full 11 points ahead of the Scarlets in ninth, who have 44 with only one round of fixtures to go. So uh, the race for the playoffs is over. All that matters now is seeding for the quarterfinals. But I think, first of all, before we talk about any playoff permutations we should probably talk about the game that got them there uh 16 points to 10 win over edinburgh at the Dam health stadium and i think it's safe to say that uh, the old cliche uh defense wins you championships could be uh very applicable to this one game in terms of defenses when you games in the pouring rain in edinburgh on the saturday night
1: yeah like also developed sort of habit of Winning in Edinburgh when they really, really need a result and when things have not been going their way. It, for some reason, the
0: fixture always seems to fall at this time of year as well. Um, Edinburgh must just dread looking at their fixture schedule every year and seeing Ulster sort of around April and May. I think,
1: yeah, basically since that uh, since that Duncan Weir drop goal to, um, to beat Ulster and Ravenhill like four years ago, Ulster have won every game play between the two sides, including... A very key one soon after that helped Ulster into that playoff spot. Whenever they were sort of being hunted down by Tereso, the year that they beat Ospreys to qualify for the for the Champions Cup, and then another one the year after, and then of course the uh, not at this time of year, but the uh, the Rainbow Cup and Pro Fourteen semi-final double header with uh, both won by Ian Madigan kicks last season. Um, or that all felt like one season everyone knows what I mean um, yeah so this again was a game that they needed in the worst worst kind of way I was talking to a friend and we were sort of saying how funny it was that like this prospect of missing out on the playoffs and missing out on the Champions Cup had sort of emerged as if from nowhere with that monster game because I don't think anybody really saw that performance
0: coming against Munster. And well, I remember we were talking about Ulster potentially finishing second and maybe even hauling back Leinster if Leinster stumbled in South Africa. And then in the space of a week, it became Are Ulster going to miss out in the playoffs altogether? Like it was was such a 180 in the space of like two days. That's
1: ERC rugby highs, lows, (laughs) twists, turns. Never know what's going to happen we've got what, what have we got three points between uh between second and sixth going into the last round of fixtures um and i suppose parts there's a looming specter here as well um that you know dan after that stormers game said you know those three points could be very important come the end of the season and we were all sort of like yeah yeah, yeah you know it could but without thinking that a mere four weeks down the line, we'd be looking at it and being like, yeah, Ulster could miss out in the playoffs because of those three points tonight. With all the normal disclaimers that uh, referee decisions have gone Ulster's way at other points during the season as well. But, you know, when you, if you would attack those three points on now, they would obviously be second again. Um, referring, obviously, to the Stormers' refereeing decision at the end of the game that we were later told by the head of officials that should have been an Ulster win, so um yeah fine fine margins um throughout, and none of them finer than uh those last ten seconds because it really is incredible to think how much Ulster season would have looked like it was um going down the tubes if Edinburgh had have advanced the ball an inch further than they managed in the in that last play, and even um the series before that where they got the uh, ping for stealing off the rock as well. Like Edinburgh had so many chances at both at the start and the end of that game. And if they had have taken one of them, this would have been a very, very different podcast. And uh, Ulster season would be looking like it was in a very, very different place.
0: You know, uh, there was a... I think it was only a couple of phases before the knock-on that ended the game. Uh, Billy Burns was shouting at the, the referee, it was Ben Whitehouse on Saturday night and he was shouting at him that there was a knock-on at the base of a rock. And I thought there was a knock on. I haven't even gone back and looked at it because it, did, it didn't end up affecting the result. But ref played on the didn't call it, and I thought to myself, "Edinburgh are gonna score here, and this is gonna be another one that's gonna be contentious, and it's gonna play a massive part." <laughs> but Obviously, fortunately, they knock on, and now Ulster in this situation where they could potentially go on and get a, a home quarter final, which we'll, we'll go on and talk about. Um, but obviously, like you have to talk about the defense. In that game, Ulster were under the cosh for so long, they couldn't get anything really going offensively in the second half with the way the conditions were. And Edinburgh were just piling on the pressure. And I think that's probably one of the better defensive performances Ulster have had for a long time. Their discipline was really poor, but I think sometimes that comes with the territory of having a very quick defense in terms of coming up and playing very fast in, in the opposition's faces. Uh, and as long as you're able to sort of tread that line, we've spoken about it earlier in the season of being able to play the referee. And there was that awareness that Ben Whitehouse was taking his time going for cards. And I know, I know it came back to bite them once, but they, they were playing very much on, on the edge of defense and, it worked because Edinburgh just kept making mistakes. They just kept giving the ball away and eventually it cost them. And that's the kind of hard nosed edge that Ulster will need going into the playoffs now that they're there. And I think that's going to serve them well, but equally they need to show a bit more than what they did on Saturday night because you can't win championships based solely on defense (laughs) and Against teams better than Edinburgh, they're going to breach their defense more than what they did. You were looking at it at halftime and
1: you could sort of sense the stakes because Ulster were kicking for the posts much more than they ordinarily do. Mm. Uh, building a score in a way that they uh, that they don't normally because they rely so heavily on their mall and even even on Saturday you could see how effective the mall was. Were you uh, surprised by the fact that they were kicking for the posts? because I was. I was surprised, but I think now normally I'm a big advocate for not doing it, but I think under the circumstances, it was important, especially not there myself, obviously, but you, know, you saw Stephen Ferris at half time saying, you know, this could be a 7.10 point wind. And I suppose ultimately it did prove, it did prove to be that in the second half. Um, the only thing that I suppose I will say is I don't know to me, that looked a little bit like the Toulouse second leg, but without the uh, unwanted outcome at the end. Like, you get in a position where you're losing the battle early, and when you lose the battle early, you're kicking away possession and you're inviting pressure back onto yourself. So, the defense was brilliant, but I, like, I wouldn't be looking at that last 20 minutes and be confident that they've righted any of the wrongs from. I suppose, the issues with seeing out a game that we saw against Toulouse, which were very much in contrast to how we'd seen them see out games against Claremont, see out games against Leinster and
0: the like earlier in the season. Well, I would agree with that because I don't think Ulster necessarily won the game. There were were aspects that they did very well which helped them win the game, but I think definitely Edinburgh, if they were sharper and the conditions played their part in this, but if Edinburgh were sharper, they'd probably get over at least once more. the The, the difference for me that you make between the, the the comparison you make between the Toulouse and the Edinburgh game and the Toulouse game, I thought Ulster were doing better territorially than in the Edinburgh game. I think Ulster were able to at least put themselves in position, even though they didn't score off them they're at least putting themselves in positions where they could at least launch something to potentially score off from on saturday night they were very much just holding on they were they were just happy to kick clear and let edinburgh come back at them and essentially say we're going to set up shop here and it's up to you to beat us so for me that that's where the difference is there and that that's why i'm saying ulster have to show more on the other side of the ball. like their exits weren't perfect. their attack wasn't perfect. So you can rely on your defense as much as you want, but that alone is not going to win you games, especially in playoff rugby. And I think at this point, off the back of that, I'll probably bring in one of our our listener questions. And it comes from Stephen McCormick, who asks, why have our backs found it more difficult to find space to attack that they were finding earlier in the season? And actually, there's a there's another question that we got in from The View from Belfast, who asks, I watched Leinster's second-stroke thirds show more attacking creativity against the title contender, the Stormers, than I saw our near-best Ulster selection show against, he describes them as an average Scottish team. I, I would say Edinburgh are more than average at the weekend. Should we have any confidence that Ulster can up their attacking game and win the URC? I think it's a fair question to ask, given that Ulster haven't had many sort of, sort of game-breaking moments over the last few weeks. Ethan McElroy's try against Toulouse was, was a nice one, but I mean, Ulster very strongly rely on their maul uh, in attack. And I've said in previous podcasts, whenever you've got a weapon like that, you know, <laughs> don't not use it because it's not the most attractive way to score but at the same time when it's your only weapon I think that's when you need to look at your other processes but what do you think Johnny?
1: Yeah I think that's an interesting point that you make because if we look through over the course of the whole season I mean when also have been winning games they've been heavily reliant on their mall and maybe the perception that they're now overly reliant on them all comes when they're not winning games, I suppose, which would be a natural assumption to make. You have to have more than one way um, to score tries. In terms of, you know, the conditions were not good on Saturday night. Like, I know this, people are maybe looking at this as a wider trend, but the conditions on Saturday were not good. Um, GM Shum said afterwards that he'd forgotten what it was like to play um in rain because between south africa and that sort of uh brief brief um spell of springtime weather that we had there um also had a run of games in relatively benign conditions or as it were in south africa very warm conditions but i think yeah i think i would look at it as more of a something that has to be developed from watching the entire season rather than watching the last month or so just the source of their tries i think in an ideal world you would want it to have it more evenly spread because this is the other thing as well about the mall the mall was actually still working really well on saturday like i don't understand how edinburgh managed to commit four penalties in successive line out or mall situations back to back and not get a yellow
0: card um I noted that in the live blog. How do you, like, Ulster literally marched their way up the pitch just through driving mall penalties. Yeah. Like, <laughs> literally from their own 22 to the opposition 22. At what point does the referee go, I think there's something going wrong here.
1: But I don't know whether you clogged it or not but on the referees, Mike. Like, Ben Whitehouse went over and said that's three in a row to Grant Gilchrist. And you could hear Alan O'Connor in the background saying four, four, four. <laughs> so I don't know whether Ben Whitehouse maybe just miscounted um, or maybe he wasn't counting the one of the line-out infractions as a mole defence
0: infraction, if you follow me. Um, not 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 to, to sidetrack too much, but I was I would say if you make connection with someone in the air, that's part of your mall defense because it's part of trying to make that initial hit. Essentially, and I know you're not hitting him to try and drive him back, but yeah, it's part yeah, of just, trying to curtail yeah, I mean, the guy as he's before, coming down the ground. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, just I suppose before it, before the mall was set up, basically yeah. is what I mean. Yeah, um, and then it was sort of all the more confusing, I guess, that Ulster then were given a yellow card later for persistent uh infringements when it was two in a row admittedly I think it was both the same man <laughs> the same man in a row which maybe made it different but um yeah so I mean the mall was still a weapon <sighs> I don't know I think you like you have to acknowledge the fact that they are playing better teams and as you alluded to earlier in the podcast better teams do tend to mean better defenses as well like it's sort of easily forgotten now. But when Ulster were scoring more tries in their back through their back line at the start of the season against poorer teams, we weren't particularly impressed with how they were playing either. If you remember in that sort of first block of six games that ultimately finished with the wheels coming off somewhat against Connacht and the Aviva. So I absolutely I absolutely take the point, but I'm not sure if it's uh, as much a recent development as maybe the results make it seem to be. Can they recapture it? Or can they find that that attacking form to win the ERC? I don't know. I don't know what you think. I think, obviously, getting the home quarterfinal is massive. I don't think any team is going to go, as an example, away to, as it would probably be the Sharks or the Stormers, win come back play the next week in Thurman Park as an example and then play the next week at the Aviva and beat Lancer like I don't I don't think any team's going to do that so but if they can get that home quarterfinal if they can avoid going to South Africa which is obviously going to be crucial as well you're sort of looking at it can they go away and beat monster and then, go away and beat Leinster, because that's probably what it would be in that instance. They could do. A lot of it would, I think, hinge on how fatigued the teams that are playing in Europe come out of Europe. Because remember, if somebody goes all the way, then that's three big games in four weeks while Ulster and the South African teams are sitting, kicking back, relaxing and preparing for the playoffs. So... I'll put it this way: I wouldn't rule them out just yet, but I do think that they need to be playing at home in the quarters.
0: I certainly think if they went away to South Africa, on on top of all the things that you've just mentioned, I think the South African teams are just naturally a much tougher prospect at home than they are away. Like if if you had Ulster playing the Bulls in South Africa, you'd have the Bulls as favourites and probably probably considerable favourites. If they're playing at Ravenhill, you'd have Ulster's favourites. So that's yeah. that's and the this, big difference. It, in a nutshell, because
1: there is a real possibility that now we're obviously not gonna know this at the time of the Ulster game because the Ulster game is on the Friday and the rest of the games are on the Saturday, but there is a mm-hmm. very real chance that this game on the twentieth of May becomes a winner, gets to play the quarter final between these two teams at home,
0: you know? Yeah. And I really enjoy the South African teams being in the league. Early because uh, I think the South African teams are, are good teams but this is where the travel finally comes back to bite them you could you're can arrange you know these two game tours and that that's all well and good you come back like you're, you're a little bit tired you're a little bit fatigued for the next game but it's you know in in the middle of the regular season you can afford to lose one game and if you're good enough it's probably not going to come back to bite you at the end of the season. But in the playoffs, if you go and play a game in South Africa and then come back and you're required to play Leinster down at the RDS the next week, well, you're rolling out the same guys the next week because it's another knockout game. And you inevitably have the travel to deal with that Leinster won't have had to to deal with because they were playing at the RDS the week before. So... You're you're asking teams to do a lot in terms of travel. Like no, no other team in any competition worldwide would have to travel more. And, and it works the other way with South African teams as well, because a South African team is not going to finish top of the standings. Um if I look at the standings here, I, I don't know what the what the difference is between Munster and the Sharks. So the, the Sharks could finish second, actually. Um but the challenges... to
1: finish second but I think it's I understand that Leinster have sort of this uh who do you sign over monster at the minute just with the way some of the last mm. run of games have gone especially when they've been uh, bigger games but I, like I don't know what you think but I can't see Leinster playing anything more than their thirds in that um yeah they've got they've got bigger games to worry about yes considering that they have secured top spot and you saw how important it was to them to secure top spot early, given that they they kicked the ball out when they were down seven to mm-hmm. take the bonus point rather than go for the draw mm-hmm. on Saturday, so they were very aware of how important it was to get that wrapped up before that monster game.
0: Yeah, like that.
1: I'm assuming are going to win that game.
0: Yes, I would imagine so as well. So you're talking about having South Africans travel potentially multiple times to try And win the knockouts, it, it, it's a massive hurdle for them to overcome that puts them at a massive disadvantage. It doesn't mean they're not going to win the playoffs, but think about how the South African team started the season. They've, they've learned a lot more from then, but you know, the, the Bulls came over and lost to Connaught in their first game fairly handily. You would now say that they're a better team because they've learned how to travel a bit better than that. But they're still at a massive disadvantage having to get on a plane, travel across hemispheres and get ready for a game and then potentially do it all again the next week. Like, it's...
1: Yeah, and I mean, I guess they would presumably stay if they had, you know, they wouldn't go back to South Africa and go back, but they're not going to know where they're going to be going until
0: after the game or even if they're going but to what, be going. But what, you know. what 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 happens if you're away? Like, let's, let's say theoretically we're, we are getting a lot into... Uh, into hypotheticals here, but let's say Ulster jump up above the Stormers. Nothing but hypotheticals to talk about. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Let's say Ulster jump above the Sharks into the top four, but then uh, the Stormers stay uh, go up into third. So let's say Ulster finish fourth, Sharks finish fifth. It's Ulster against the Sharks in the knockouts. Let's say the Sharks then beat Ulster and by some... Miracle, uh, you know, Leinster beaten and Munster beaten in the in the semi-finals, and the Sharks have home advantage in the or sorry, the Sharks have the home advantage in the semi-finals. Sharks then have to travel all the way back down to Durban to play their <laughs> to play their next game. So, uh, look again, I, I love the fact that the South African teams are in the league, but this is where the the fact that the South African teams are in the league could make things just really messy in terms of like having a level playing field in the playoffs. It's not like England where your biggest trip is Exeter to Newcastle or in France where your biggest trip is probably taken by plane from Paris to Toulon or something like that. This is, you're talking about jumping on a on a 13-hour flight in order to go and play one game and then potentially doing the exact same thing a few days later. Uh, but we'll... Yeah,
1: and I think you also have to take into account the fact that the South African teams have not won an awful lot of games in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And the Northern Hemisphere teams have not won an awful lot of games in South Africa. So as somebody who was skeptical about this originally, I have to admit it's worked much better than I thought it was going to work in terms of we're looking at there being an eighth team playoff and all of the eight teams are good in the sense that they win more often than they lose. Like there's nothing worse than getting to the playoffs and there being a team that on the balance of probability loses more <laughs> games than they win. That's a, that's a bad look. So to my mind, we have eight decent teams in the playoffs. And you could even say if Ospreys the way they're coming on win those last two games that they have the game and I remember mm-hmm. you could actually have a good team missing out on the playoffs which is a relatively new thing for the ERC Pro14 in this format I know obviously we had the covid season last year where we went straight to the final and things like that but in a six team field in the Pro12 or Pro14 you never really felt that anybody was going to be unfortunate to miss out in the playoffs. If you missed out in the playoffs, you deserved it. And I think that the drama that we've had, even though we talked about there at the top of the show in how tight the table is, has made for a compelling season. Again, in my opinion, this was against all the odds. But what I will say is moving forward next season, the year after the year after that, for this to be a real success, for this this to be what organizers envisaged it being, which is something that was going to take this competition and make it rival the premiership and the top 14 in the eyes of, well, in the eyes of essentially the people that (laughs) um, ensure that competitions generate money. What we need to see is that level playing field that you mentioned of we can't have it become a situation where, two European teams are winning in South Africa's in a season or each South African team beats maybe the likes of Zebra or Cardiff, Dragons, whomever, but doesn't beat any of the big teams because then you still have that idea that was always what was plaguing the league if there were too many games that you felt like you knew the results before watching them. And that's going to be a big thing in the next couple of years. I think it might be too early because... You know, you make the point there that the South African teams have learned since the start of the season, and they definitely have. But I think there's still considerable obstacles to winning cross-hemisphere. Like, as I say, I could be completely wrong. Like, Shark, take them over here and win in, uh, win in three weeks' time but and then get themselves into a position where they're actually hosting a playoff game. But I, I, j- I still just can't see it right now at the minute
0: wait until we have the discussion about how they're going to do in the Champions Cup next season but uh,
1: well, that's, that's-, a, that's another interesting uh, a really interesting addition especially if as it looks like at the minute three of them qualify now we've outlined reasons at the start why um, that could yet not happen but um, you know the three teams in the playoffs if they all make it into the Champions Cup next year and then you have that kind of travel added as well for the English and French teams. That's going to be really interesting to see.
0: That's for another podcast. Uh Just a, our podcast, by the way, we will discuss that at some, some later date. Um, yeah, to listeners yeah. to other podcasts. Yeah, no. Why, why would you need another podcast apart from this one? Just to, just to finish off our uh, URC talk, I, I will quickly run through the, the games and the, the situation we're in at the moment. So, Um, In the table, Leicester are already guaranteed top spot. They've got 62 points. Munster in second on 56. The Sharks also have 56 in third. Stormers have 56 in fourth. Ulster have 55 in fifth. The Bulls have 53 in sixth. Glasgow and Edinburgh both have 50 points in seventh and eighth. Um, And then the games in the final round of fixtures, because we've only got one round to go. Ulster obviously play the Sharks. The Bulls are away to the Ospreys. Scarlet's host Stormers. Edinburgh play Glasgow and Leinster play Munster. So plenty still to come. And we will discuss that a lot more towards the time. Uh, We we do have one more question just on, on this from B. R. Stout, who asks, "Would we rather go to South Africa or the RDS for the quarterfinals?" Don't think Ulster are going to go to the RDS. I think that would... Well, sorry, they, they can't because they can't yeah, be they, they, can't they can't be overtaken by both Edinburgh and Glasgow. So it's uh, <laughs> unfortunately is a moot point. But uh, I think at this think stage, actually, 100%. Ulster would probably prefer 100%. Ulster would probably prefer to go to the RDS at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. For the purpose of the hypothetical, yeah, I think they would rather go to the RDS because they've won in the RDS this season. And I think if it if it comes a week after Leinster playing in a European final, I think there will be a sense that you're getting Leinster at a good time. Yeah, I agree. Um, I know that also say that they won the Stormers game, but they haven't won in South Africa yet. So there's a barrier to be broken there, whereas after November... There isn't. Now, like, that, that's the kind of statement that you can look really silly after the fact if they, well, yeah, not that they will, but you know, sometimes when you say these kind of things about Leinster, it's when uh, then you actually, after the game and you have got beaten by 40 points and you're really like, yeah, that wasn't the best of predictions that I made there. But, um, sure, we never claim to be Nostradamus on this podcast, do we? Yeah, we tend to just ignore all my bad predictions, actually. We never mention them again, which is, I am always very grateful for it, to be honest. You're
0: welcome. <laughs> One more listener question before we go on to talk about uh, matters elsewhere. Uh, Donal O'Reilly comes back in and he asks, despite Jake Plannery moving north, some calls have been made for a top-class international 10 to be top of Ulster's needs list, and Bernard Foley is the name floated. Do you guys see any merit in the idea or see it as even a possibility And they ask, is he Irish qualified under new rules? No, because he's played for Australia. So that instantly makes him ineligible to be Irish qualified. Um, I'm not even sure where Bernard Foley's playing. I meant to look it up, but I assume it's in uh, Japan or somewhere like that.
1: Yeah, I don't uh, don't actually know. Um, As as
0: the podcast goes very silent while we're both Googling it. Um, I I was thinking that he was playing for the war, does. um, No, he's he's with the Kubota Spears in Japan. The Steelers. Kabuta Spears. Oh, Spears! Huh? Both ridiculous names for teams, but <laughs> do we think there's any merit in
1: signing a ten? Here's the problem with this: Billy Burns three months ago signed a two-year extension. Ian Madigan is contracted for next year. You know, the money—the money that was allocated for this or sorry, the money that theoretically is being allocated towards this is already spent on players that Ulster already have. I don't think... And again, my predictions are often in a ski. I don't think that they're going to go in the market for a 10 when they've already backed Billy Burns to be their 10 with the contract extension.
0: I don't think they'd be allowed to go for a 10, to be honest. Um, no, I don't
1: think... They'd be. Sorry, you're right as well. I don't think they'd be allowed to go for a 10 either, but... um I think it's one of these things that there, and it's we sort of see this with Carter, Sam Carter, sometimes as well. There's like a section of a fan base that hasn't warmed to a player, and therefore would like to see them replaced. And it becomes this sort of, regardless of how possible it is, it becomes a topic of conversation. And the reality I think is that it's not going, you know, it's not going to be something that's actually plausible.
0: Yeah, uh, I think we are safe to say that what Ulster have at fly half are their stocks going forward. Because, as you say, and uh, I hold absolutely no ill will against Billy. He's he's a great guy, and he he is always very kind with his time with us. But, you know, if, if this was the summer where Ulster were going to make a change at 10, this was when they were going to do it because Burns was out of contract. And they could have said, thanks, Billy. But we're we're gonna move on, we're gonna try somebody else. But they've they've given him the new contract, they have backed him. And look, the fact that Burns has played so many games at 10 this season shows how comfortable they are with him there. He's I, I, I don't have the stats to hand, but I think he's only not started two games this season, and, and it's been the last few weeks. Like that that shows how much faith that they put in him as to the quarterback of their back line. And if they felt like they needed to make a change, then Ian Madigan's been available all season. They have Michael Lowry who can step in there as well. They would have tried something different. The fact that they have continually turned to Burns and asked him to lead the line, I think is the biggest reflection that they're not looking to change anything in that position.
1: Yeah, I actually think you're spot on there. I think the uh, the reason that it feels like they don't have 10 options at the minute is because they have so much more faith in Burns than they have in their other options. So we're now at a point, and I think we've seen this in the last month when Burns hasn't played at 10 and the guys that have come in have looked like they haven't played 10 all season. Um, To be kind, I think. And it's because Burns has been handed such a huge majority of the minutes. And again, to your point, like if they were going to make a change, Burns has been here four years. You know, he's had four seasons as the first choice ten. If they if they didn't like, if the people that were making personnel decisions and selecting the team didn't like what he was bringing they would have known it already you know they're not going they weren't going to change their mind now I don't think after four years
0: so just to finish off there was of course a massive game at Ravenhill on Saturday night and it was a fantastic night for the Ireland Women, both in terms of the crowd that they got in and the exposure that uh, the team got up in Belfast and also the result uh, 15-14 dramatic win over Scotland in their final uh, Women's Six Nations game. your Breen doing it all herself in, in the last minute, or as I say last minute, in the sort of fifth minute after the last minute, yeah. uh, to, to win the game and secure Ireland their second win of the championship and fourth place in the table. I want to make a point just straight off the bat. The fact that Ulster and the Ireland women's team played at the same time, was just a real mess because it meant that we couldn't watch both games live and that look I, I know whenever it comes down to Six Nations games and URC games they don't exactly sit down and have meetings together but surely somebody should have had the common sense to say the team that plays in Belfast are, current, are playing at 7.35 on Saturday night maybe we shouldn't schedule the Ireland women's game for 8 o'clock on the Saturday night at Ravenhill that's all I'm saying
1: yeah no I agree I think it's a problem that you have with broadcasters or different broadcasters different competitions you know we've got this situation in the Champions Cup at the weekend uh, where two quarterfinals kick off at the same time for broadcast reasons so Unfortunately, broadcasters do tend to call the shots, but I would absolutely hope that we do continue to see Ireland women's games played in Belfast, played in Cork, take one to Galway. Um, I know it's probably easier in a year like this where you had three games, three home games anyway. Maybe not so easy next year, but I hope we do see it. Continue and obviously, <laughs> the hope is that Ulster um, are not playing away in um, what really became one of the biggest games of their season. At the same time, because that will not have helped the gate at all.
0: I would just like to take this opportunity to apologise to Vicky Irwin and Vicky Irwin, uh, <laughs> both of Sale Sharks. One, uh, one played for. Ireland at the weekend making her Ireland debut at Ravenhill. So, congratulations to Vicky Irwin and apologies for tagging the wrong Vicky Irwin in my initial post on Twitter and for all the confusion that that caused. But uh, we were just so happy to see an Ulster woman making her debut for for Ireland. Um, Johnny, obviously, you know, we've talked so many times in the podcast before about how there's the big gap between. Uh, England and France in first and second in, in the women's six nations would you say fourth is a decent return for Ireland given you know new coach coming in at the start of the campaign you have all the sevens players leaving halfway through two wins from their three non-England and France games and fourth place Would would they be happy enough
1: yeah they would I think I would describe it as a difficult campaign but a credible campaign um, I think you know. There's some talk about you know exacting a measure of revenge on Scotland after uh, after Parma in September. I don't think that's the case because I can't. I don't think you can equate um, the pain of missing out in the World Cup in that fashion to uh, winning a game a concluding round of the Six Nations. But I think it gives you something to build on on the field. We all know how much they. Needed something to build on off the field, and we have the recommendations. The enacting of the recommendations will hopefully will hopefully be that impetus off the field. But to me, this is the first time at night. it now feels like they have a bit of momentum behind them on the field since that uh, failure to qualify for the World Cup. I think they played well against Wales, and um, maybe just that added conditioning of Wales having those twelve contracted players in the last. Uh, loomed large in the second half because Ireland had started that game really well to beat Italy and then to beat obviously the Scottish team that had beaten them back in September I think means that they come out of that Six Nations feeling relatively good about what they put out there on the field like we know that the game against England got away from them but 10-0 at half time and playing pretty well in that first half I do think Obviously, we've seen that if allowed to go untethered, France and England are going to zoom even further on than they are already. I think that's one of the difficulties that they've that Ireland will have had during the Six Nations, but also one of the. I think it's almost fair to say it's a positive that this is now being talked about and addressed. I mean, like, look, the Six Nations isn't going to be viable as a tournament if you allow England and France to continue to get better than everybody else at the rate that they're getting. And I think the sevens issue, again, was um, was difficult and is difficult. But I think the chat of bringing in player contracts, whether that's in time for next year's Six Nations or the Six Nations after that, sorry, 15s contract, I should say, for the next Six Nations or the Six Nations after that, has to be seen as a positive as well. So I think you you just have to say fair play to uh, to the squad and to uh, Craig McWilliams, I think, because there were those difficulties and obviously they were coming in under the Clyde of the review and everything that went with that. And like I say, they got two wins They were never going to get more than uh, three wins. And I think they put in a decent performance in defeat against Wales as well. So no, fine margins because as you say here in the 84th minute and you're losing in that game that you really had to win to generate that sort of momentum and feel-good factor coming out of the championship but just as Ulster did against Edinburgh they did what they had to do in that uh, final passage of play to get the result that they needed
0: and it certainly gives them something to kick on and potentially go into next year's championship where obviously it's so important to, for them to finish in the top three to get that top tier Uh, competition in in the WXV. I think one player that I want to single out is Neve Jones. I thought she had an outstanding tournament and she's coming away, probably going to get a nomination for one of the players of the tournament because she was so good. And especially in that England game, I thought she really stood out. But uh, yes, fantastic to see so many people there at Ravenhill. Fantastic to see the finish. And uh, hopefully this is something that they can kick on from. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have. I I did want to chat about the European quarterfinals this weekend, just as sort of something to look forward to, given that Ulster are not playing. But we have run out of time very quickly here. But uh, if you are planning on watching the, those games, as I said, there may be more games in the Challenge Cup that matter more to Ulster than... Uh, in the in the Champions Cup. I'm sure you can't watch every Champions Cup game this weekend anyway because of the wonderful broadcast schedule that means we have two games on at the same time. Maybe the less said about that the better. Uh, but to Jonathan, thank you very much for joining me and being back on. No well good to be back. And thank you very much to all of you for listening at home wherever you're watching your rugby this weekend. Stay safe enjoy it and we'll see you again next week.